Hey guys, so welcome back to another episode of the Black Create Connect podcast and I have another guest with me who's also in the same profession as me, Edmund Young. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, shout out you. We're here, we're here, we're live. <laughs> How are you feeling? I'm so happy you made it today. I'm really happy you made it today for me. Thank no, you. Good to be here. It's good to be here. But, um, how have you been? Yeah, good. Yeah? Yeah, just... um. Navigating life, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's um, doing a lot of purposeful work, so it's keeping me busy. Yeah, um, but yeah, yeah. What's some of the purposeful work that you've been doing so far in twenty twenty two? I feel like this is a magical year this year. I feel like loads is happening. Everyone's making moves. What's what's been the magic for you so far? I think so far, I guess, is um, just being able to like give back, help back, um, sort of the community that. I have just, um, for example, just like, you know, people from the black coaches backgrounds, um, mm-hmm. just giving them the support that they need to find jobs and mentoring other people as well. You mm-hmm. just get a sense of like satisfaction, just helping out others and just providing that mentoring to them as well and see them sort of, you know, grow and, and all of those sort of things as well. So, um, yeah, definitely, I think just really providing support for, you know, the young, the, mm. the, the, sort of the young ones um, and then just watching them grow as well and just really yeah. sort of um, nurturing that talent as well. Okay, so let's 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 start a little bit backwards because I know you mentioned Black Heritage and I want to get onto that in a bit. Mm. And for those who don't know what Black Heritage is, we're going to tell them more about it. Um, but let's start off with you and your career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you growing up, what's your background? I'm Ghanaian. You're Ghanaian. Shout out Ghanaians, yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shout out Ghanaians. So, okay, cool. So you're Ghanaian. When yeah. when you was growing up, what was the kind of narrative from um, your parents in regards to careers and, you know, who should be your influence and what you should go after? What type of narrative were you kind of given? Um, so I actually wasn't born in England. I was born in Ghana, right? Okay. Yeah, so I came to England when I was about seven years old. So okay. I started like primary school and stuff like that um, here. Um, and my English was decent, to be honest. Like, but obviously, I still sounded like someone who was fresh from. Did the you? So, Go on, give us, give us a little gun in. Little, uh, little... <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? It was just, I, I don't think it was just more, it's just me just talking in a way where, you know, you hear people say, oh, can you pass me the pencil? I'm like, pencil. Like, oh, you know bless I mean? you. I had that sort of. Um, so, did you feel kind of like, did you, like, when you came to England from Ghana, did you feel like, um, uh, a loner or I stick out or did you just kind of blend straight in like what was it like as a child do you know what I feel like I was trying to find my identity I was trying to kind of see who I was in, mm. in that sort of setting you know in different like settings there's like the class clown there's the smart person mm. there's the the popular person mm, mm, I was trying mm. to find out like like where, where I sort of fit so yeah. in the beginning it was a bit kind of hard because everyone had a kind of established role yeah, there, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Everyone yeah. had established roles. I was just thinking... What did you do? Yeah. <laughs> like, how did you navigate through that? Um, I think I was a bit of a joker. Okay. Yeah, when I was um, when I was in primary school, I was a bit of a joker. Um, and 
I can't lie, sometimes it got me into trouble, like the things I say, but it was just because I was imitating a lot of the stuff I watched online. Yeah. Like American films yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Um, when they'll be just like telling jokes and then I don't even know what they'll be, some of them were saying was actually swearing. <laughs> and then I just say it. And You're going to swear in class. And then my teacher would be like, uh, Edmund, and I was just like, oh, I watched this show. And then, so it was a bit, it was a bit hard. Like, I was yeah. just like, uh. And I guess when, I feel like when you don't know where to kind of place yourself, the easiest thing is, is to be the funny one or to try to make people yeah. laugh. Because... Yeah, that, like that's that's me as well. Like if if I feel like I don't know what to do and I'm really awkward, my go-to is make people laugh yeah. or try to bring some type of amusement, whether I'm the joke or I'm yeah. telling the joke or whatever it is. Yeah, 100%. So that's what you did basically. Yeah, so I was just doing that and just trying to see what happened. And obviously it, it was working, do you know mm. what I mean? People are like, oh, you're a bit funny, you know, and stuff like that. And um, um, through that, I made friends um sort of from that as well but then getting sort of further from that they started becoming genuine friends like i didn't have to sort of pretend to be funny anymore because there's sometimes when i was just not in the mood to be funny do you know what yeah, I mean? yeah 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 um but there was all comments like oh do you want to come and play football and stuff yeah, like yeah, that yeah. um so yeah obviously i appreciated that um on that end um Okay. So, yeah. so so you came from Ghana, you know, you, you managed to find your feet in school. Did you, from a young age, have your eyes kind of set on, this is what I want to do when I'm older? Or did your parents feed into you and say, this is what you need to do because you're good at this, Edmund, and you need to do this? Um. So when I was younger, I was like, oh, I want to be a businessman. I didn't know what they entailed of. <laughs> businessman, you know? All I know is that all I know <laughs> that back in Ghana, the businessmen were the, you know, the the guys making the money. They were the, right. the top bosses, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was, yeah, I, I want to be, um, I want to be a businessman. And then um, my parents didn't, I wouldn't say they forced anything on me like that, but around me, like aunties and uncles, they'll be like, oh yeah, when you grow up, you know, you, you'll be a great doctor or lawyer, you know, your typical sort of African cliches of jobs that you have to do, mm. um, even though there's other roles right now which pay way more and mm. have more satisfaction with. Mm. But anyway, um, around me, sort of just the family, you just hear people becoming doctor, doctors, lawyer, lawyers. Why do you think they, they, they kind of were stuck on that? Because I got the same thing. I remember growing up again, like I was told, you have to be a lawyer because you can talk and mm. you have to, that is your, 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 your goal. And mm. I was like, why are these the only careers that you want us to do? What why do you think it was? I feel like back home, maybe that's the only sort of thing that they're exposed to. Do you know what mm. I mean? Like, if you're not in those sort of um, sectors, then, like, you're you're not really at the top of the... But then when you come here, you learn about all the different sectors mm. that they are. There's so much. And then mm. even now when I'm explaining what... Um, so, like, even what I do now to my friends, like, oh, wow, I see, and stuff like that. And then mm. other you know, other aunties and uncles about, wow, you're really doing mm. great and stuff like that. It's like, I didn't know about, you know, this, this and mm. that. So I feel like there may be that sort of lack of education mm. on how much different sort of sectors and subsectors mm. and stuff mm. that there are. Mm. Back then they have, I feel like they're just exposed to just a small segment of that. Mm. And because of that, it kind of shapes their um, sort of ideologies about mm. these are the, the jobs that are going to pay you well and going to sort of yeah. satisfaction as well. So. Yeah, I, I, I actually agree with you because... I think to myself, jobs 
are you for me they're, they're created from problems that need solving mm. and it depends on, and each problem is going to be different in different climates in different countries so typically you know doctor and lawyers I think back to okay why would you want me to do that in Jamaica they probably needed a lot of doctors and lawyers because there's probably a lot of a lot, a lot of people mm. catching cases yeah. and a lot of people that needed um, to, to kind of get into care like on a basic basic level mm. but when we come to this type of environment where we have the NHS so that's not really a big 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 thing over here in regards being a doctor is great and shout out to anyone that is but there's other things as well like there's a huge market in advertising that Mm. people don't know about and design and you know architecture and and so much more careers so yeah completely agree with you um cool so let's let's go on to i guess your greatest influences when you was growing up whether it's people that were celebrities or family members who did you like look up to and be like yeah you're doing bits i want to be like you and why um so funny enough it was um one of my uncles um so um uh, my mum's brother um he worked in marketing back in ghana and um in Ghana, there's there's this like ice creams called fan ice. It's like okay. one of like the most popular. If you go to Ghana and you don't have fan ice, then I don't know what you're doing. I'm gonna get that then in December when I go. Um, it's yeah. so nice, um, but nice. he's like a marketer there, and he's won so many awards just for his you know dedication, um, and just how much he's put into business. He's been the, with the with the business in the corporate side for years. Mm. Obviously, with with the um, with the product itself, you've got people who sell it in the street, but he he's sort of in the corporate side of that in the offices and stuff like that. Um, but you know the guy's work ethic and just how he just puts his all into making sure that um, you know the business is successful. Like mm. it was something that I admired, mm. um, sort of just growing up and just seeing all the efforts he put into them. We just go there, see so many awards in the house and stuff like that. And I was like, this is. So yeah. what was it about his? I guess what he did that inspired you was it the fact that he was getting awards or was it the fact that he was just so dedicated to doing great work what was it I think he was like very dedicated but he was somebody with integrity as well so Mm. I know there'll be like you know um sometimes media and stuff trying to like pay staff members to say certain things and Mm. stuff like that and he was you sometimes you mention stuff like oh you know the media are trying to give give x and y for them to say this about this company and stuff like that and obviously mm. you know some people take it you know, with a good amount of money especially if you live in you know third world country like Ghana and stuff like mm. that but um you know like he just kept his standards and morals to himself and he just kind of went with it mm. do you know what I mean and it all kind of paid off for him he's doing well mm. um and stuff like that he could support his family you know he and Aside from all of that, he still gets in touch with us who are like in London and other parts of the fam and other members of the family who are in other sort of mm. just international locations as well. So mm. I think it was just him really just being a man of integrity, really mm. such a dedicated person. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was not just the awards. Obviously, the awards was like you know the ice and the cake. Like yeah, yeah, that. yeah. But his... it was just the dedication and the integrity. Um, I think those are sort of the main factors there. Do you think he influenced any of your behaviours today and how you are today? Or not really? Do you think he just kind of figured it out on your own? I think it's a bit of both. He's quite, he's quite a calm person. He doesn't over sort of... Like in certain situations, some people would just fall into combustion. They'll just explode. They don't know what to do. But mm. he's always somebody that kind of 
takes it slow like he he's such a like calm minded and, and well spoken sort of person mm. where he always takes his time when he's speaking about different things mm. maybe I inherited that maybe I don't know <laughs> from, no, from you're, my mama's house. you're very calm and um, you know thank you but um, again I feel like at the same time I've kind of navigated it for myself as well mm. and although I've got that side as well I've kind of just learned when you're in, you know, corporate, in business, there's certain ways that, you know, you need to be looked at in mm. order for you to sort of, you know, get the right attention um, mm. that you want as well. And it's not really an act, it's just sort of a set of guidelines that I look at really mm. in regards to how you respond to things that are kind of sent to try and just, you know, make make you lose it. <laughs> what, what do you think some of these guidelines are? Because there's... I think there's this narrative that you have to fake it in corporate. You have to, you know, pretend to be someone that you're not. What mm. do you think these guidelines are? And do you think that they can be tweaked per person? Like, what's your what's your view? Um, so I feel like some of these guidelines, I mean, one thing that's, that I've seen is quite important is build meaningful relationships. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Get mm. people on your side and stuff mm, like that. Because... Mm, mm. At the end of the day, there's certain things that you may want to do, but if you don't have the the influence or the power from other members, yeah. then it's not going to happen. Yeah, and that's only going to happen if you network and build those meaningful relationships as well. So, right. I feel like that's been quite important for me to get certain things across or win certain proposals that I yeah. wanted to sort of work on or projects that I wanted to wanted mm-hmm. to do. So, question there before we go on, because we're on the guidelines, right? Mm. But in regards to networking, I feel like, again, not everyone knows how to best do that, right? Even people that are deeper into into their career. What do you think are the best ways to network and build those internal relationships without coming across a bit like a beg or mm. a bit irritating? What's, yeah. what, what's worked for you? Um, I think sometimes it's just like, Sometimes just getting to know members of a team and what they do and just finding some common ground there, really. Mm, mm. You know, um, like I'll talk to certain people and then they'll be like, oh, yeah, um, I did like a module on, on HR analytics or, or this and that. Like, oh, I, I kind of did stuff like that when I was doing my master's. And then we start talking about it. And then, mm. okay, so what do you do in the, in the business then? And mm. then you see that obviously what they have, they've got a bit of an influence and stuff like that. And then you're like, oh, okay, yeah, we should... Um, you know, talk about some of the stuff you're doing and I'm mm. actually working on this and I want to do this. It'll be great to get your input or whatever. Mm. Um, so without sounding like a beg, it's just naturally just getting to know them without faking it really, you know, mm, what do you do? Mm, what are your interests? Mm. Um, stuff like that. Mm. What do you enjoy about your role? Um, mm. Where does it sort of fit in? Um, mm. And just see where it sort of aligns with yours as well, yeah. what you do. So, yeah. That's yeah. a really good answer, you know. Like, I totally like totally agree with that in, in the sense where I feel like when we build up generally when we naturally build relationships and for those that are trying to figure out how to best network is usually getting the person to talk about themselves and understand who they are and their values and what interests them first instead of kind of coming off strong because I've had some people that have networked really great with me and some people that have been a bit like oh <laughs> like yeah. this is you know this, yeah. this, this, <laughs> like this feels a little bit unnatural yeah. and you don't want to be that person so that's that's really good advice yeah definitely really good you, advice you can't like when you come off too strong like people you can people can sense it do you know what I mean like yeah. you, you can always just sense when someone's coming off too strong and then you just know you're gonna get sort of put off by it as well um mm-hmm. so 
yeah, you can't really fake it like that. You just have to genuinely want to know what people do. You just have to yeah. be, um, have a curious mind, really. Um, mm. If you don't have a curious mind, you're just always going to wonder what other people in your team or in, in the wider um, sort of role um, or job sort of do. And then you're mm. just going to sit there not knowing that some people's have alignments with yours and then you can actually, you know, use them to help you do certain projects and stuff like that so okay so what other guidelines so you said you know one of the things is networking building those relationships what else would you say is important another thing i'll say is important is um know when to speak essentially wow that's a that's a big one (laughs) (laughs) i feel like i felt that a couple times (laughs) elaborate on that um so there are certain instances where, you know, there'll be a discussion going on. And, you know, if you know what that your input is going to add value, i.e., you know, other people are going to sort of make a comment on it, whether I'm being positive or negative, mm. at least you know that they're go- you're going to get some sort of reaction from mm. that. Mm. But if you are just going to speak for the sake of speaking, you know, as in, what you're saying doesn't have any substance. You don't really get a response from me. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe that that's that's interesting as well. Then, I mean, you're just wasting words, aren't you? You know, you're such, not- that's such a Ghanaian thing to say. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I feel like <laughs> I feel like Ghanaian men are like that. Like, especially the men, they they're just very calm. They won't say anything until yeah. it's something. And when they say something, it's like, oh. That makes sense. The thing is, it's like, it, it's just all, I guess it comes all, that, all, all sort of back to the sort of theme of alignment. You know, you have to, mm. you know, know exactly when your words are going to make an impact. Mm. Otherwise, it's not going to, if you're just, you know, doing it too much, then you're going to lose that Focus, sort of authoritarian yeah. sort of um, view when you're sort of making your points and stuff like that. So you're going to you're know correct. to strike. You're correct. Because you know what? I, I noticed the same thing like in meetings at work where... I promise you, whenever there's someone that constantly talks in a meeting, I just switch off. Because I'm in my head, I'm thinking they've probably said this already or they're probably just chatting because they haven't listened enough in this meeting. So they're mm. just probably just coming forward with their ideas without actually listening to what anyone else is saying. And you, it's the same people all the time. And as much as I'm talkative and I'm, you know, I am how I am, I'm like that in meetings. Like I will literally listen the whole time. Sometimes I won't say anything because I don't have anything to add sometimes. But sometimes when I do have something to add, you know, I, I wait for everyone to finish and I'll, then I'll interject and say, look, this is this. And you're right. People listen to you because you haven't actually been interjecting in the whole meeting and just yeah. been splurring out different ideas. So that's really good advice. No one to speak. Just on that no one to speak note as well. How would you advise someone if they find themselves that they're in meetings and they don't have anything to say, because that happens sometimes. And there's also a thin line with not being, not getting lost to the point where people just don't even regard, don't even ask for your opinion Mm. because you never say anything. How would you advise those people kind of to be able to say something? What key things would you say for them to listen to or to look into outside of those meetings so they're able to contribute effectively in those meetings? I think outside of the meetings, you've got to know what everyone's rationale is, what their why is when when they want to, you know, get their point across. Mm. You know, is it to support a specific department? Is it to win a specific award? Is it to reduce costs? You've got to know what sort of, 
you know where what their agenda is mm. so you especially you basically got to do your research especially if you're about to have a meeting about a certain topic mm. and that comes through knowing each of your different colleagues or each of the different people in the meeting and knowing mm. you know what points that they're probably going to argue across and that comes off just talking to them really about you know how you're feeling about this and that meeting as well in mm. an informal way of course mm. because they're actually just going to want to talk to you not knowing that you know they're feeding you ammo for when they say they're certain things, how you can either support it or counteract it, yeah. you know, sort of use it, especially in the meetings as well. And that comes back to the whole idea of just, you know, building, not necessarily building relationship with them, but just knowing a bit more about them, mm. um, getting them to talk, you know, getting them to sort of see what they're passionate about within the role, what they're not so passionate about within the role, because that mm. helps you navigate what sorts of points um, mm. or ideas that they want to get across. And mm. that way, mm. you've kind of got all of that and you know exactly what where they're going to come from. Mm. And therefore, you can sort of devise um, any potential questions or any statement, statements that will definitely get a reaction from them because, mm. because mm. you know exactly kind of where they're standing as well. Jeez, I feel like Edwin's got a couple of gems in it. In it. <laughs> <laughs> in head. I, I'm, I'm loving this. I'm loving this advice. Okay, cool. So we have making... Getting great relationships, building great relationships, knowing when to speak up, and obviously now we know how to. If you don't haven't, if you don't have anything to say, we know how you can go about building up that information to know how to speak up. What other guidelines would you give individuals, especially um, you know young black um, graduates that are looking to get into corporate? What what advice would you kind of give them? I'll say, don't become a yes person. You know, don't just accept anything that comes to you. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. I feel like, I guess, some people, they, they really want to secure an opportunity or when they get an opportunity, they they really want to get seen because, you know, we've all had the statistics that it's hard for black colleagues to get seen around in, mm-hmm. in corporate workspaces and stuff like that. And sometimes because of that, we want to take on any task that comes mm-hmm. through, not knowing that is it going to add value or is it going to make an impact, but we're just going to do it for the sake of doing it. Whereas if you're strategic with what things you take on, mm. um, it's easier for you to sort of get noticed because they make more of an impact. They get you more notice. Mm. So it's really just not always agreeing to do everything. Push back, you know, mm. um, be bold. Um, essentially, when you have to push back on just ad hoc stuff, that's not going to really um, just add value mm. or make a contribution. Mm. There's things when you move a bit more strategic with what sort of projects you take on, mm. then senior people can see that like, oh, I see that you've done this and that year or this amount of results. That was that mm. was great. Mm. Whereas if that person that's always just, you know, creating a report and, and doing invoices or whatever, then that's mm. all most majority of people are just going to see us. Oh mm. yeah, pass it on to that that person. They can mm. do that for mm. you. Question in regards to that. So, as we as you know, when you're a black and for those who are not black and who are watching this and who you know or listening to this whatever it is when you enter corporate or enter any company as a black person most of the time you feel like you are the only one or you're one of few basically mm. and you want to be seen you want to kind of get noticed how how do you then differentiate how have you differentiated what you say yes to and what you say no to because Especially if it's a person of seniority coming to you, mm. asking you to support with this project or to help with this. How do you differentiate? This is a yes job and this is a nah. So I think 
if you want to, I guess, push back, what you, you, I guess, ought to do is to give them reason as to what you're dropping to help them with what they're doing. So let's say a senior manager comes to you and says, hey, you know, Edmund, I want you to do this for me. It's like, hi, I could potentially do this, but it means I have to drop this project, which is due on this date for that. Are you still happy for me to proceed with this? You put... Yeah, and you're kind of putting the ball in the court because they know that you've got now you've got this project that you're mm. doing to now um the thing where they know that you know you don't have as much capacity and stuff like that you're mm. working on something that's making a bigger contribution than what they're asking or tasking mm. um so then they, they'll be thinking oh, okay i can see he's doing the poor work let me take it on to another person to do it mm-hmm. and hopefully the other person has something you know meaningful that they're doing as well because otherwise this is going to always deflect back to them which is why it's good to sort of be smart with you know what you're doing and also what's being asked of you yeah um as well in these workspaces because um sometimes delegation can get a bit too mad yeah well we i think i've definitely made some mistakes by saying yes to everything early on in my career even to be honest even now recently you know i've seen myself make that mistake i've seen ceos make that mistake and saying Mm -hmm. yes to everything so no matter what level that you're at it's something that i think a lot of people can practice at at different levels yeah where have you made that mistake like tell us about an experience or maybe you haven't like you, you know maybe you've always been someone that knows what to say yes or no to um so I guess when I was um, starting my career, when I was doing like my first, after I did my second kind of proper role, which is like a student recruitment role, mm. it was of um, a very numbers-based sort of um, role where you had to produce results and stuff like that. And I was always volunteering to like take on, um, so I was advising like different people about, you know, what what courses you can do and then um kind of I, I guess in, in the sales you wanna you know you wanna convert them, you know, mm. you wanna convert them. Once you convert them then, you know, they're they're leads and then mm. you, you wanna sort of qualify that lead and, and make sure that they can then um just they can be secured especially and mm. that that's essentially a sale or a recruit. Um so I was always like, yeah, I can I could take on that extra um, person and times it got sometimes it got busy at times where I would not take lunch until about 3.30 or 4 p.m., even though it was a 95, just so that I can take on just doing that extra advisory um, mm. with people. And, you know, all it got me was that people used to like, oh, you got a strong work ethic. But mm. again, it was not really purposeful like that because it was just that guy that just does extra work and stuff mm. like that. Um, so I think that's quite, you know, a mistake that I made um, mm. when I was starting. I mean, this is very early um, mm. in my career, mm. but it's because I wanted to be seen. Mm. You know, I wanted mm. everyone to know that I work hard. Yeah, and do you know what? Just to add to that, right? I feel like when you do that, you mismanage people's expectations because people don't, especially now a lot of people are working from home. So if I'm allocated all these different projects and I manage to get it done within a week because I'm working crazy hours, that's the expectation I'm setting going forward, which means I'm going to continue, I'm continuously going to be, you know, excessively working to keep up to that standard. Mm. And if you drop it back to normal, they're going to think, oh, you're not working as hard. And really you was overworking before. So you have to keep that, Again, I'm talking from experience too because I've done it. I've been like, okay, let me take on all this work. Let me do all of this and this time. But it's not realistic. So I'm an advocate for slowing it down, you know, working at a sensible, healthy pace, you know, and getting things done properly. And 
And that's it. Not yeah. not working on steroids, basically. Yeah, I mean, even then, like when I was starting out my career, I I had never heard the term work life balance. I kid you not. Know, I, I just no one told me about work life balance, anything like that. I think I learned more about it just through experience. But like, oh yeah, it's good to have a balance of work and and your personal life and stuff like that. And then you know when the whole idea of um, not the whole idea when the whole um, great resignation came along mm. and everyone's resigning because of work-life balance and stuff mm. like that. It was getting more talked about. Mm. And I was just like, yeah, I mm. see it now. I see it. And that, I guess if I knew exactly this work-life balance thing, then I wouldn't have put maybe as much pressure on myself to mm. always perform and stuff like that. Mm. I think naturally as well, like we, again, I've always felt from from graduation and from from young in my career that I have a bigger point to prove because I'm a black woman. No, like people that are not a black woman may not feel like they understand that, but I've always felt like I have to prove myself, prove that I'm worthy to be here and everything. Hence why I would try to do the whole overworking thing. And that's actually what I've, what I've been taught, you know, mm. to work hard. You have to work hard and, mm. you know, work twice. We've been told to work twice as hard yeah, all the time. <laughs> and not that, I mean, what, what advice would you give to, because I'm sure that this narrative has been passed on to so many young, you know, people of colour and people that are, you know, in, in uni, whatever. What would you tell them? Would you tell them to reverse that mentality of work twice as hard or still keep that up? Or like, what would you say to them? Maybe work smart and work strategically. Do you know what I mean? You can still get the same results by doing it different ways. But also... Um, just on that as well just when you're thinking about you know work twice as hard just think of think about what the cost of that is going to be you know mm. at what expense mm. if i'm working twice as hard what areas of my life is it going to affect mm. and how is that going to affect me in the long term and in the short term as well because mm. if that's going to affect especially your mental health then inevitably that's going to like lead to you not having a great relationship with other people because you yeah. know you're miserable you're burnt out yeah um so you gotta just analyze okay work twice as hard but what cost what how is it going to affect other areas of my life and if you think it's going to especially affect other areas such as building meaningful relationships with either mm. colleagues family mm. um, or other areas then you know mm. switch it up. do you know <laughs> what again you're you're so correct and i i, I didn't it, it wasn't until actually before lockdown um, or just during lockdown is when I know I really started to don't hate me family and friends value relationships before then I was like sorry no I need to work I can't see you mum I need to work I can't see you friends I can't go out tonight because I'm working and <laughs> like no like literally and to the point where when obviously we were into lockdown and I started to spend more time with my family and my friends I'm like no this is Hope relationships, what the hell? Mm. Thank you for sticking by me through those times where you know I was, you know, just into work only. But you're right, something has to give, and it's not worth it. Yeah, um, I remember like even during um lockdowns, I think it was the time when everyone was sort of working from home and stuff like that. Um, and there was, I think there was a time as well where you couldn't sort of go out and stuff like that. So people had to use like, you know, FaceTime and other apps and stuff to like... Um, house parties. Yeah, house parties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember when I was like... Was that was so on, strange. Six of my guys, you know, just talking like, so, hey guys, how's everything? Just, <laughs> just chatting nothing. 
no one's got a haircut everyone's looking rough you know we're all going through it with the lockdown but it just kind of made you think about you know those relationships that you yeah. value because now it's like we've been forced and then i guess from that everyone was just like you know when lockdown's over we really need to like Link go up. back to mm. traditional ways and, and just really see each other face to face rather mm. than just you know having a call or whatever mm. because technology can really just kind of give us this sense of um comfort saying oh yeah we could just have a call and catch up really mm-hmm. um, you know what about actually seeing each other face to face and seeing mm. you know people's emotions and stuff like that because mm. sometimes um i saw a quote the other day i was just like oh I, I've now realised that when I'm with my friends, I can see that life is really just just worth living and enjoying for, like, and stuff like that. Because mm. when you're really around those people, you're just, like, mm. you get that sense of, mm. you know, shared emotion and stuff Hundreds. like that. You know, so... Um, it's just really, like, important to mm-hmm. just build, mm-hmm. build a relationship. And, you know, my, my pastor says this, and I've heard this been said by so a lot of entrepreneurs, and I've read books, and this, a similar theme that always comes out, of all the time is you need to have a tribe. Like you cannot go through life alone. Like it's not like, it's not healthy. Um, loneliness can actually kill you statistically. Like it's yeah. not, it's not actually okay to go through life alone. And you know, we need support from a emotional standpoint, uh, you know, a, w- a working standpoint as well, mental health. We need to make sure we have sound opinions in our life and also enjoyment. Mm. We like to do enjoyment. You That's can't right. just do, even, you know, recently when I went to, I went to Mexico and um, I did, uh, it was a solo trip, but my friend joined me for six days and those six days were priceless with her. Like they were, they were amazing because she was there with me. She was, and whilst I was on holiday, I made friends too because people are every because people are everything. And I, I I went Cancun with strangers and I had a great time with them. And I, you know, you need people around you for whatever it is. And you're right. Yeah. Like even being in person doing a podcast for me is better than doing it on Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> for, for me, hundred yeah, percent. I think it's just. At some point, everyone just gets bent out by, you know, Zoom and, and Teams and all of those things. It's mm. like, can we just get together in person? And exactly, <laughs> exactly. Can we just, you know, we're here. Yeah. So on that note, actually, I'd like to um, get your opinion on um, how, how you feel about the metaverse. I know this is a completely different um, topic, but it's, it's just it's more so because things are moving to this virtual reality and there's a lot of things happening. Are you a part of the metaverse and what's your views and, and everything and all that? So I'm not part of the metaverse, um, but that's not because I've actively chose to not be a part of it. I've just not really given it a thought like that. But I am well versed on what's happening with that. Um, I just feel like there needs to be a fine line between reality and getting too sucked in into the virtual space. Otherwise, we're gonna go back to how things were before, um, before people started, you know, meeting in person more and stuff mm. like that. We're gonna sort of think, yeah, let, let's meet in the metaverse and have a, a virtual coffee there. Mm. And it doesn't really have the same sort of impact. Although you make every sort of adjustment to make sure, you know, things are represented well there, it's not really sort of the, the same sort of thing mm-hmm. um so i guess for me um i see i see what it's about you know and i get it you know mm. what i mean i know what what's trying to be achieved um with it um but i think as well um we need to just make sure that it's not something that 
takes over, mm. you know, certain things or certain traditions that are already established in place, which build more rela- uh, meaningful relationships with our friends, with our family, mm. with our colleagues and stuff like that as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, really. I think we just need to be cautious and wary that it doesn't take over us meeting our friend mm. for lunch or whatever. Yeah, 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 know? yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, we want to eat food for real. Exactly. Like. <laughs> not, not, exactly. Pi- not pixelated food, exactly. you know. So. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So back to guidelines. By the way, for those who don't know, Edmund actually works at EY, right, which is, I think is dope, which is amazing. Um, So congrats. I mean... And they've been there for eight months now, roughly. So I know you've probably got more guideline tips and I'll get onto those in a a second, but what was the process in applying to work for EY and what kind of advice would you give? But just like talk talk us through your process in getting into this particular career path and working for EY, run us through. Um, So I guess I've always kind of been a people person, do you know what I mean? I've always wanted to help other people. When I graduated, in 2017 with my first degree, um, I did like an internship at my uni, um, helping students with like um, additional support and mm. stuff like that. Mm. And then I, I noticed that I kind of loved the HR aspects of things. So I did a master's and I studied, um, you know, sort of talent and- Oh, you did a master's in it? So I did a master's in HR management, yeah. Oh, I've wicked. Got a master's in HR management. Um, I'm very Obviously, well Obviously, that's, that's amazing. I'm very well qualified. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike me, that's just swinging it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So I study stuff like, you know, HR analytics, talent management, um, psychology of selection and assessment. Stuff okay. Like that. Um, so I knew I, I kind of wanted to do a lot of work around there, especially the DNI space. My whole project was in um, DNI and selection systems and stuff like that. Um, no so um, at, the, at that time I was working in my student recruitment, which I said, so I switched to working at part-time. So I was working in recruitment part-time, doing a master's in HR full-time. Um, so I was balancing that and, mm. you know, just being in the in that sort of stage, I was like, I really do like helping out people. So I kept on, you know, sort of seeing what was next um, in terms of, you know, what I wanted to do, what I wanted to achieve. And I know, noticed that I wanted to go where somewhere the culture was a heavy, there was a heavy emphasis on sort of DNI. And stuff like that. Um, so I guess fast forward to, you know, EY, um, mm. I applied naturally um, through that. And, and by that time, I became a bit more focused with what I wanted to do. So mm. before EY with other roles, I'll just go and indeed apply, <laughs> apply, apply, apply. I would even, sometimes I would even look at the, the job. The <laughs> I just saw talent, this or recruitment, this, and I just like, apply, apply. Sometimes I even apply for roles which require like, 10 years of experience. <laughs> so I'll be there with my like, We've like been there. two years of experience. I'm qualified. It'll still happen. I went to school for 10 years. I'm qualified. Literally. So I was just there and I was just like, you know what? Like, I need to become a bit more focused. Otherwise, I'm just going to apply for anything and ev- you know, yeah, everything. So yeah. um, I sat down and I made a note of what sectors I want to be in. So mm-hmm. I put down professional services, finance, tech. Mm-hmm. Um what sort of salary bracket I was targeting mm. to make sure, you know, you got to know your worth and stuff like mm. that. Stuff like work-life balance, pensions, mm. all of those things as well. Mm. What sort of job title, what the role would sort mm. of entail of as well. And then use that to navigate. And I mainly use LinkedIn and that's where I got the job from LinkedIn. Mm. And if anyone's not on LinkedIn right now, please mm. utilise it because mm-hmm. 
Like it's it's a I free agree. platform where you can <laughs> literally just meet anyone. Yeah. And just see what they're doing. You can literally look at someone's profile, see how they've ended up in exactly. their career. And then use that to make a game plan for yourself mm-hmm. to get there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I applied and then I, I had um, two interviews and a presentation. Um, so um, I originally, well, I had a phone call interview, then I had mm-hmm. um, two interviews and then a second interview. I had to do a presentation as well. Mm. This was just, for my role with other roles the process will be slightly different but one thing that really helped me was just i done my research mm. like i really done my what research. did you research in in, in in like specifically what was it so obviously i work in a, i work as a senior associate in the uh, student talent attraction team mm-hmm. i looked at um what sort of the objectives were in terms of what um, type of talent they were trying mm. to attract i saw the statements on um, on DNI and recruitment, mm-hmm. um, what percentages were they were trying to reach by a certain time? And mm-hmm. I know that I've seen a certain percentage of getting X amount of um, black people into mm-hmm. a certain amount of role of apprenticeships or or certain roles. Mm-hmm. So I use all of that to my advantage. I'm like, oh, so I see that you want to try to achieve this or what to get. Yeah. You know, how are you going to achieve that? You know, what what is your game plan for that? What's your methodology? Mm. What other challenges do you think you're going to face as a business for that right now? Mm. And they were impressed because it just showed that it showed that I was curious minded. You know what I mean? And I talked about that earlier, sort of being somebody who's curious minded. But all the information was there. I didn't have to dig it up. I just went on the website, mm. typed in, you know, recruitment, talent, just saw you know, just, information there. She looks crazy. Sorry, yeah. on that note. I find it astonishing when I interview people and they know nothing about the company that I'm interviewing with because I think everything is on the website. Yeah, you could, literally. especially on Zoom, you can act like you're looking at me, but be looking at the website. <laughs> Just that's a huge tip. Like, and some people are like, "Yeah, I don't know anything." I'm like, "You, that's been in this working world for ten years. You mm. haven't done one drop of research, and it's all. It's just you don't even have to do any press stuff." But anyway. Sorry, continue. Nah, no <laughs> Quick rant, <laughs> but um, but yeah. But yeah, it's just literally just um, doing your research, really. And I know a lot of people say, yeah, do your research. But it's actually key, especially when it comes to talking with, you know, members of the actual team, because they're, they're going to know this is somebody that actually likes to do their background research, that they, they know they want to get the mm. job. So they, they're going to use this as a strategic way mm. of trying to get this role. Mm. Um, and I find that it's always sort of worked for me right from even just working, working in retail jobs when I was in university mm. and stuff like that, doing the whole research about specific companies. Mm. And I'll be like, you know more about the company than I know, to be mm. honest. Um, but just really seeing that you're somebody that can really extrapolate certain information, get that information, talk about what it means for the business as well. Um, and how it affects that specific industry. Yeah. You know, you always yeah, got to yeah, tell yeah, it yeah. back to the industry. Otherwise, just speak about the sake of speaking. Yeah. You know, we you know we don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> we know one of his guidelines. <laughs> don't speak for no reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? So again, like I said, what you say has got to be targeted. It's got to yeah. make an impact. You don't don't just say, you know. Um, I see that recruitment. The recruitment market is hot at the moment. Everyone's trying to get talent. No. What is EY specifically trying to, trying to achieve yeah. right now? What is causing them um, to not reach to untapped pools mm. of, of talent right now? Mm-hmm. And then when you ask, when you start to ask those questions about, you're onto something there. Yeah. You, you know, like you're you're there. You're kind of speaking like an academic because you're always talking about the impact of A exactly uh, to B as well. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
kind of winning it back a little bit, right? You mentioned something that's really important when you're looking for jobs. And again, I don't think it really matters on your level at this point. A lot of people don't have focus in what it, what it is that they want to do. I've, I do career consulting and sometimes when I speak to candidates, they're just like, yeah, I don't really know what I want to do. And they, they expect me to have those answers for them. What, how did you conclude that I want to get into finance? I want to get into tech. I know you studied HR management, so you wanted to get into talent. Mm. But what was it that made you say, okay, I want to get into this specific industry? What interested you? And if it's the money, say it's the money, because I know the money's nice. Yeah. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think obviously aside from just like um, financial benefits and stuff like that, um, you you want to see what's going to work for you long term. Do you know what I mean? What's going to give you you know, what's going to make you look good long-term in terms mm. of your um, your long-term prospects and stuff like that. Mm. And you see a clear pattern, um, especially me, like what I used to do, I used to literally um, type in people, like certain job titles, names on LinkedIn, and then look at their career trajectory, see where mm. they came from, what they mm. did, what industries they worked in. Good shout. And then yeah. I'll be like, hmm, maybe I need to explore those industries because yeah. they've got, they've, been, they've managed to get from this place to this place in such a short space amount of time yeah, because yeah, they worked yeah. in a company like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know? So I'm like, yeah. hmm, maybe I should start looking into that as well. Yeah. Um, so it's not obviously necessarily just mimicking what other people have done, but mm. you know, you, you sometimes you, you gotta see what other people have done to, to yeah. see where they got how they got there and then yeah. see how you navigate um to that sort of path as well, which yeah. is um I like that. That's yeah. a very logical, you've got a very logical way of thinking and approaching things, which I like. You're not just out here just saying, oh yeah, finance seems good because, you know, it looks good, but you you actually researched. And you're right about LinkedIn as well. Like I, I use LinkedIn massively like to know like secretly that there's someone that I worked with. I can say his name. My old CEO that I worked with, um, Ete Davis, I have been wanting to work with him for years. So secretly saying, okay, if I work in these companies, I can eventually lead, you know, and eventually I I managed to work with him and he's been a huge influence like in my career, you know, um, as well as my manager as well. Like she's been, now my ex-manager now, but she's been amazing. But anyway, talking for no reason um question in regards to salaries right so i feel like companies don't um <laughs> they don't like advertising salaries um people in our community or generally it's, it's very frowned upon to talk about your salary and talk mm. about how much you're on so two questions is how did you know where to price yourself specifically what did you do and second question do you think we need to encourage talking more openly about what we're earning um, with each other as peers and as a community? Um, so just a few things that I've done. Um, I went on like Glassdoor, stuff like that, looked at the comparisons of the average salaries in in the company and stuff like that. Um, and the average years of experience that people had and mm-hmm. what sort of the salary it equated to. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of used that as a formula to work out mm. what how much I think I could ask for or mm. sort of request, especially that. But also I looked at my achievements as well, mm. right? Um, I knew that this company was big on DNA. I looked at, um, I knew I'd done a lot of work in DNA in previous roles. Mm. I picked up certain parts of, you know, the you know, areas where um, I may have won awards in DNI or my master's project, which was a whole 50 page report on DNI. Wow. Um, 
and use that to sort of use that implement that within other companies as well yeah. i was like what assets in my academic and professional history can i use to kind of give me extra points to mm. demand the highest salary mm. you know so you got to look at those things and then because if, if you don't have any if there are no experiences there are no credentials mm. then you can't really ask for a higher salary you're not going to get it you know mm. you've got to be realistic obviously of course in this day and age you know it's good to know your worth and ask for a higher salary as well but you got to be realistic as well if mm. you don't have anything that's quantifiable, then it's not really gonna measure up when, when you come to ask for a specific salary mm, as well. Mm. Um, so that's what I did really. Um, I just used what achievements I have, and again, related back to the job saying, these are what I've achieved in DNA. Mm. Um, and this is my price. Mm. This is my price and range. Is it gonna meet? And to be honest, a lot of the times before, I can't lie, before I even got to EY, there were countless amount of places where I applied for. And the amount of times I was like, Hi, Edmund, I'm sorry we're not going to be able to meet your salary expectations. Sorry we're not mm. going to be able to meet your salary. And these were billion-dollar companies as well. I'm thinking, really? really? <laughs> they just want to pay you that. <laughs> so I was like, okay, fair enough. Uh, what one company won't do, another company will. If you, if, yeah. you, if you know exactly that, if you know deep down that you have the experiences, um, there's a clear balance of you have the experience, you've got the right attitude, you've got the personality, um, and you know the quantifiable results for it, then another place will definitely recognize it. Mm-hmm. Um, but on to sort of your second question, yeah, I, I, it's you do have to talk about salaries. It can be an uncomfortable situation, but you know we've heard stories about. I know there was an um, article recently about this woman who um, had like a, a a massive budget for a role, but mm. then the candidate only demanded a, like thirty k yeah. or something like yeah. that. So. Um, she just gave the kind of what she wanted as well. And that's mm. how it starts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course, you know, we've got, you know, great recruiters out there who um, will definitely want to be in um, in, in your call and offer you even higher, in even higher salary when you're there mm, as well. Mm. But if you've got people like that, then you don't want to get finessed, you know. You don't mm. want people to take advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always good to just ask, um, you know, sort of just talk about salaries mm. and obviously it, it's very like it, some people want to be secretive of it you know they don't want people to know and stuff like that yeah um but it's the only way if we're ever trying to reach some sort of equality whether mm-hmm. it's you know gender equality mm-hmm. um especially with the pay gap then we've got to be a bit transparent with what's happening um, yeah. with salaries and stuff like that otherwise we're never going to reach that state of yeah, equality on yeah. That as well, you know, so. the th- thing is i'm I'm very, very fine talking about salaries, even amongst people that might be earning double the amount as me, because my question is, what do you do differently to me? What, mm. <laughs> so so I can know, am I outpricing myself or mm. what do I need to earn or do to get to that salary? Mm. So I think it's very important. And you're right, it's it's a weird one. Like, especially in the black community, we don't really talk money like that. And, I'm, and I, I think it's important for us to to talk about okay, this is how much I'm earning for this. This is how much you charge for this. Um, you know, I think it should be an open conversation personally. And I guess because, I don't know, because I work in recruitment and talent acquisition, I'm used to talking about salaries and asking people, what are you looking at? What mm. you want? So maybe it's a bit different for us, but I guess, yeah, I don't know. But it's it's definitely an important... Yeah, I, I, it's a lot of people there... They was talking about, um, you know, I had someone reach out to me the other day that I'm kind of helping to do job search and um, they've made it through to 
uh, sort of the next stage of the interview. And I think the the um, the, the company was asking um, him salary expectations as well. Mm. It's like, and he, he was like, oh, um, I don't want to say something that's going to put them off and then not let them mm-hmm. sort of reject me and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And it's true. Sometimes you can say a crazy, especially if you don't have, you know, if you know deep down in your heart, you don't have the experience <laughs> for that. And then companies, they're going to be like, you know, that's too much. One year of experience and asking for sixty <laughs> k salary, whatever really happens. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. again, you have got to be realistic as yeah. well um, with what you do. But I was just like, you know what? You know, first of all, like I said, do your research. Look at what similar companies are paying on average, and then look at um, always put in a range. Don't say one specific salary. Mm. You know, certain people are like, I'm going to ask for this amount. No, put a range mm. there because the likelihood is that they may have um, a budget of a certain amount. Yeah. And that might completely fall out of your range or even maybe even higher than what you're... So put in a range. Yeah. That way, you know, you can navigate between that as well when they sort of Yeah. And also, my advice to people that are t- like talking salaries um, initially when they start interviewing for a role is to always say it depends on what's required in the role and say... It depends on how the conversations go because it's a conversation you're having with people in the business. So you need to understand, you know, the scope of work that you'll be having to do. Because I discover when I when I was doing interviews, my most recent interview and the one before that, throughout the process of speaking with stakeholders, you're like, oh, this is something that wasn't mentioned in the job description. <laughs> this mm. is something that's an additional <laughs> thing, or or oh, this is going to actually take much more than I expected yeah. of me. So therefore. I'm going to need more money for this. Yeah. That that That's actually a fact. So yeah, putting a range is great, but also just so they don't try to offer you the lower end of the range when they do offer you, make sure you say it's dependent on the level of work required and expertise required for the role as well. Mm. So you can bargain and even go above what you ask for because candidates do it sometimes. Yeah. I don't know if you've had candidates do it where they, they ask for, say, I don't know, let's say 30K and then it comes to offer, they're like, no, no, no I want 40 now. <laughs> <laughs> do you have that? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely had that, and yeah, sometimes just like I'm clapping them secretly. I'm yeah. like, go get yeah. your life, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't get it. Um, but yeah, no, you definitely gotta be, you know, transparent on that. And like, if you don't talk, nothing's gonna come from yeah. you. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, recruiters can be quite cunning. Do you know what I mean? Where they they won't necessarily give you the information like that. They want you to kind of draw them out in some mm. sense so that you know you can then see what you're working with in terms of you know what the salary expectations are mm. you know if you want to be body you can even not what, what's your what sort of the budget for for the role such as this potentially mm, mm, mm. they may be able to give you something they may not be able to give you something but at least you've said it anyway to mm. see what the response is from there mm. um but yeah we definitely have to be transparent otherwise um there's gonna be some crazy sort of disparities in terms of you yeah. know what some per- people are and especially when you know, you, you know what they're capable of and stuff exactly, like that exactly. Well. well, I'm the thing is, I'm always someone. Whenever um, I'm interviewing people, and they say they're looking for a certain salary, I will always say, I don't really care about your race, gender, whatever. I'll say you should be earning more, and I'll tell them this is what you need to be looking at. Even if this is a, even if it's above. Um, what we're offering, if I've interviewed them and I think that they add great value, I'll say, this is what I think you should be on all the time. Because, and the reason why I do that is because, A, I want people to be valued properly. Mm. And um, 
you need to raise the expectations from companies because companies are going to think, if they, if they think that they can pay someone something, you know, I don't know, 50K less for a job or 30K less, they're going to continue doing that and then no one's really going to get paid properly for what they're doing. But if I tell everyone, if I, tell, if I come back and I, I say to stakeholders, actually the market rate is this. If you want someone to be able to do these things and have these expertise, this is what you should be paying. So I'm always telling people, you know, what they should be expecting. Um, and if we can't pay, I advise them to go elsewhere and get that money for what they deserve as well. Personally, that's what I do. Yeah. But... Yeah, no, nothing. I mean, anytime when people sort of um, come to me like, oh, you know, I didn't, you know, the company couldn't offer me the salary I wanted, um, stuff like that. I was like, that's fine. Do you know what I mean? There's loads of other opportunities mm. out there that will probably even um, offer what, what you want as well. And sometimes mm. you realise just how much value you bring, especially when you get the role that, a role that you wanted mm. and then, you didn't even expect them to offer you a salary like that. Mm. I just think so is this what I've been is this how I've been short selling myself all honestly. this time? Honestly. <laughs> you know what honestly. I mean? When you come to that realisation and then it just makes you realise and that's why I always tell people any big projects you do in any role, really Note highlight them, them mm-hmm. and put it down somewhere because mm-hmm. those are gonna be the ammo that you use mm-hmm. when you sort of go and navigate mm-hmm. how much salary that you um expect from different employers mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know? Hundred, hundred. So um Cool, that's super, super helpful. Thank you for elaborating on that. So I guess um, kind of going on to the Black Heritage now, just to understand what that is, um, what purpose it kind of serves, your involvement in it, um, and anything else you kind of want to talk talk around it. Just talk about that a bit. Yeah, so I mean, like I mentioned before, I've done a lot of work um, in DNI, especially Black Talent mm. and Black Talent Attraction. I love that. Um, so when I came in EY, when I was actually funny enough, when I was when I was interviewing with um EY, you know, I talked a lot about just how passionate I am about really supporting the black community, especially into roles. Mm. You know, what I did what I talked about in my master's project about, mm. you know, the barriers to entry for black candidates and stuff like that. You talked about that in your masters? Yeah, yeah, in my project. That's wicked. Also, you know, from from a theoretical and a practical point of view as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So using different theories and exploring that. And I did first time research. So I interviewed managers. Did what you? What, well. I'm so sorry. What did you find out? Like what type of barriers did you discover? Um for black people so obviously there's your typical those who have ethnic names and how yeah. they um are not sort of shortlisted especially for certain roles and stuff like that as well mm. um but there's also sort of um um the idea where there's not much representation in terms of who is interviewing those candidates where um it diminishes um just how strong they they come across um let's say for example, we've got, you know, a black candidate there and you've got three three white interviews there. You know, that creates an effect where um they have they get pressure to sort of um sh- sort of come out of character. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um and then that doesn't reflect well in them and you know, it, it, it just causes different um it, it it kind of come across as they they they're not themselves. There's mm. like two people in that room because they they just don't know how Where to, to be. phrase the answers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The code switching is a bit hard for them. They don't know yeah. how to sort of come across. 
and sometimes it's hard for them to be their authentic self as well so i think that was yeah. one of the main factors about really creating you know some sort of um diverse representation in terms of those who interview mm. um black candidates because um already when they get presented with that they mm. already it kind of already um creates a disheartening with them especially when they're like hmm, are these going to be the sort of people i see every day mm. uh, and stuff like that so that was one of the um sort of key um things as well um mm. but also um, one of the key sort of findings that I looked at was just um, by around sort of just biases, really, um, mm. especially when um, you've got sort of candidates who come in and then you expect them to start, at, you know, act in a certain way in terms of, you know, how well mannered and stuff they are. Um, but then when they start talking and then they sound great, um, you know, you immediately sort of change your um, your views upon them. There's actually a theory mm. um I, don't, I can't remember it, but it's basically when, let's say I've got a candidate and they've got an ethnic name and then they come in, so we think that they're going to sound the same way, they're not going to be able to project themselves well, but mm. they come in and they actually project themselves quite well and they're like, mm. oh, okay, they're actually, they're quite decent. Um, and it's it's something that's been, um, on the theory side, studied by a lot of people because it's like, they're already creating these biases already. Mm. Um, and sometimes it's, unco- um, it's, it's subconsciously, they don't even realise it. It's it's just like that. Within, yeah, um, I've, no, so, I've, I've know, heard that. So mm. um, I guess, let's face it, having training on biases is not going to solve things. Really, mm. It's a continuous process of improvement mm. about representation mm. and about looking at, you know, how do we make sure that we're creating a fair playing ground mm. um, to these sort of candidates as mm. well? So, yeah, those are some of just key. Um, there's loads of different stuff in there. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's just one of the key things. Um, that sounds like... Can anyone read your, um, your your summary? This sounds like it's very interesting. Yeah, so um, actually a lot of people have asked me, and, and for those who've asked me, like, don't kill me, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get it for you. But um, the executive summary can be... Uh, read by anyone um, that was not involved in the project, um, essentially. So um, you can't necessarily read the whole thing, but the executive summary describes the whole um, project in terms of finding in layman's terms, basically. Um, It kind of takes away all the theoretical language from that. It just kind of puts it into modern Where can that be found? Um, so I'm gonna actually upload it soon, um, and I will make it known if you've got me LinkedIn. But I will definitely be posting it up uh, and making it available to just anyone who wants to read it. Okay. Um, in regards to that, just because there's a lot there that I think was really insightful information, yeah. especially conducting primary research and then, you know typing it all out in terms of responses mm. and decoding for, that as well for anyone that wants to connect with edmund i'm going to add the link and everything to the podcast um description so you can connect with him there and read the executive summary when it comes out yeah definitely <laughs> I'll, I'll have that ready to go because i know a lot of people have been asking about mm. it and um you know it's, it's it sounds interesting from what you're saying and yeah. just just to touch on the name thing actually i've got um i guess this is bit of a debate not a debate but it's a question so the other day someone actually in my in my whatsapp group um, for the backrate connect asks people to share personal stories of when they have been discriminated against because of their name now I had an argument against that I said um people of course are probably discriminated against their name Mm. can we prove it 
probably very, very, it's very, unlike, un, very unlikely to, to prove it. You don't know if you've been rejected just because of your name. Yeah. We don't know. Do you think there is a way that we can prove it? I mean, the only way that I think it can be proved is through A-B testing, which is applying with the exact same CV with two separate names. And if one gets taken forward, then you know, okay, it was my name. But other than that, you don't yeah, know. I was going to suggest that as well. And a lot of, you know, sort of comparisons have been made with like people, something sort of the same um, having the same background, same experiences, same mm. sort of uh, experience in terms of academia, and then putting that forward, um, you know, let's say one's a um, a white man, one's you know a black candidate, and mm. they're seeing what the results come from there, and then if he, if there is a pattern, obviously mm. from you know for example white candidates being selected, they need definitely know that yeah, <laughs> there's yeah, something yeah, happening yeah. there, yeah. you know, and I think that's probably one of the most effective ways of just seeing if there's a pattern, if you're mm. doing some sort of controlled research on that end anyway. Mm. Um, but candidates yeah. can't know though, like from my perspective, I don't know if someone's going to just, you know, looked at my name and thought, my name's not really obviously back there anyway, but I don't know. Yeah. But now actually... <clears throat> Companies be looking at your LinkedIn and your Instagram, honey, and your Twitter. Mm. So they they're not only just seeing your name, they're seeing your face, and yeah. <laughs> they're seeing what what type of things you talk about yeah. and what you post, and that also plays into. Yeah, you gotta make sure your um your digital footprint is mm-hmm. sound. You know? like, Listen, make sure you know you have all the right. For example, if if you want to keep your um, your social life separate from your work life make sure you have the right sort of settings and stuff mm-hmm. there as well but again if you're trying to get certain roles and you know want to break into a certain industry or you know you kind of have to create a personal brand for yourself you do, do you know you got mm-hmm. people got to see this is you know this person always talks about this on linkedin i feel like yeah. that could be a valuable asset yeah um and stuff like that and that's something I'm, I'm even doing more of now working on my own personal brand you're doing really well well um, by the way we're trying but it's so key because yeah. it, it, it gets you um just noticed really without the whole Traditional, obviously, you know, they've got this and that credentials, but, you know, they're well-versed in this. They're always talking about this, contributing these arguments online and stuff like that. And in that way, you become the brand itself. And sometimes it it probably can eliminate processes for you, especially when you're applying for a particular role. You know, again, just moving a strategy on that end in terms of personal brand um, is so key. 100, 100. Just so, just to kind of go back to your black heritage, sir, and I read the kind of de- derailed a little bit. Yeah, you were talking about the fact that you studied about black talent, and yeah. So, um, so I studied black talent, and then um, I talked about it in my sort of interview with EY, and um, there was like, oh, you know, we've we've sort of worked in this um pro- program before. Uh, it's called the Black Heritage Visa Program. How would you sort of feel about leading on it? Mm. Um, and stuff like that. And um, I was like, yeah, 100. My eyes lit up. I was just like, you know, like, you know, when you just present it with something that you're passionate about, it's just mm. like, yeah, I want to I wanna do this. And it's, um, you know, it's like one of the first projects that I've led on, like, actually just led on and have a, a team helping me out with it. Um, but to know that you know um, and it's nice because my team that work with me on it are also black as well shout out the blacky white team (laughs) so So, like it's it's nice to kind of you know see the shared experiences of of what candidates want to get from these sorts of things Um, so it's essentially the programme is is a two day insight day programme right Um, 
And obviously in the market, you've got um, businesses that do these sorts of um, spring days, they do mm-hmm. a spring day or an insight day, whatever. And it's mostly mainly targeted towards sort of first year undergraduates. Um, so that's what is targeted towards so first year undergraduates. And over the course of two days, um, they basically get to learn about all things about the business, you know, all the different service lines, all the different skills required for that, mm-hmm. um, how you can be successful in that, what sort of clients you get to work with. And um, anyone who, so with these sorts of programs, you do have to like make an application to get onto it. But although it's mm. a two day program, um, naturally you get fast tracked to get an internship the following year if you get onto this sort oh, of wicked. program. And that's our way of making sure that we fill up our roles with diverse talent early. So they get fast track mm. offers before we even put these um, intern um, sort of roles into the mm. market already. Really? So we're already sort of kind of get another talent before anything gone to the actual market, the wider market anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so. so so what's the criteria to be able to apply and get onto the programme? Um, so you just have to be a first year undergraduate really and you got the flag. <laughs> okay, so I'm too old. <laughs> Even though I was invited. So you have to be an undergrad- undergraduate. So you got to be an year. undergraduate. Um, you got to be an undergraduate. Um, I think you know, you're, you're sort of your typical GCSE, mm, English, mm. you know. Um, but... Any courses that they need to be studying? or any Not necessarily, any, no. Anything yeah, at all? The thing is, we don't necessarily screen out on um, sort of academic backgrounds just because our different service lines um, have um, catered to different things. For example, assurance. Those mm. who want to get to sort of accounting, become mm. an auditor, mm. um, consulting business mm. consulting technology consulting mm. um sort of assurance obviously you're going to need more of a number space background for that mm. but then we've also got another service now which is like people advisory services that's people who want to do sort of hr hr transformation okay uh, reward management those sorts of mm. things you know so there's something for everyone whereas with the hr side you, you need more of like um the soft skills or as with you mm. know the assurance side you need more of the the numbers the analytics mm, 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 and sort of things so um that's why um you, there isn't because this is that insight day you're learning about all of them then after yeah. that you then get to make that decision of where you want to sort of navigate to in right. terms of the different service lines. so that's how it works it's like you find out about everything and then you now have a fast track opportunity to go into a specific um, service and according to which, where you think you're going to be mm. um, best placed that way we obviously make a decision from our end as well but it's just to make sure that there is some sort of alignment there but we put the power you know into their hands as well to make sure that it's something that they think they're going to enjoy which is yeah. why we talk about everything in depth um, as well so that's wicked yeah. so when is the next um, I guess application stage and also apart from the criteria you've mentioned how do you select who gets onto the programme like what is it is it about what they write or yeah so um, you've got to do like uh, an assessment right um, you've got to do like a, um, a numerical based assessment and it's just like a typical um, numerical and if you haven't done numerical or don't know about them please just go and google type in numerical assessment because a lot of big corporations ask do for them. these sorts of things mm. and it's always good to get practice beforehand because the only way you can pass them is literally practice mm. you don't necessarily have to be a maths head just practice mm-hmm. as much of them as possible mm. um, so you do that um, and then there's also um, um, what we call like a job simulation so um, again, job simulation is like when you have 
um, let's say a specific scenario and then you get given a range of different options about what you would do. Mm. Let's say, for example, Tia's got a meeting with her manager. Mm. Um, she wants you to help out with her, but you've got your own work to do. What do you do in that case? And mm. you get different options and stuff like that. So mm. it's about how you react to those settings because those happen in real life, you know, mm. so it's about how you demonstrate certain strengths in those um, different scenarios. And then, yeah, that's, okay. well, that's sort of the main parts of that. Okay, so that's next application stage is in September. So around sort of September-ish, um, but again, follow me on LinkedIn. And I'll <laughs> He'll post about it. He'll post about um, it. <laughs> so obviously this, this year the programme's running in April and next year the programme will most likely run in April again. Okay. Um, so naturally that means application will probably start from around September-ish. Um, okay. In the new financial year um, sort of times. Um, so yeah. I love that. I love that. And um, I just want to shout you out because I know you got a feature in the in the latest ish edition of the recruiting magazine, which I saw and I was like, okay, I see you, <laughs> little recruiter celebrity. So how how did this come about? Is this is this for EY? Is this everyone that's working in that was the Yeah, so um that's so when I got into it, so um our branding team um an opportunity to feature certain colleagues um, mm-hmm. within um, the recruiter magazine and the whole idea is that they wanted to show the different diverse voices in, in the teams and bear in mm. mind in EY there's probably about nine different talent teams I'm just in one of them which is in UK Ireland but mm. there's loads of different ones mm. um, so essentially they were looking for people who are contributing towards um, sort of the the values that we we stand for i.e diversity Mm. um creating inclusive network Mm. and and those sorts of things and then um my um my head of student recruitment shout out becky um she was like this i remember us having a talk about personal branding and stuff like that she's like you should go for this i think this would be um great for you to talk so i didn't just get to um, be on the cover, but I also got to have a little segment of hey, um, the magazine as well. Okay. Um, great. Um, and again, it's just to highlight some of the work that I do in terms of DNA because it's, it's important to kind of just show the, the faces of these different programs that exactly. we do. Some people don't know who, who is the who are the people behind this sort of program and yeah. you know who's actually you know, some people are creating opportunities for black people. Who yeah, is, yeah. is is the person that's actually then there's a black person or a white that like, you know what I mean? You, yeah. you wanna you wanna know exactly who the faces of different things are. Exactly. So I remember we spoke up a person branding and she talked about opportunities like I want you to I want you to like um do it. So Shout out Becky and then, that's... um and yeah um we we done the shoot and stuff like that um and yeah it was a really fun day to be honest um yeah that's so good to hear do you know what i feel like i'm actually sitting beside i don't say this to everyone by the way (laughs) i'm sitting beside like a huge huge future leader and i'm so privileged that i managed to get in here first and like have this is your first podcast isn't it yeah yeah (laughs) the black great connect podcast so like i literally feel like i'm sitting with a future massive leader like you're so humble you've got so much to you like so much depth and substance and knowledge and I feel like this has been a really good conversation like I don't know how you feel do you feel like it's been all right yeah. <laughs> not, not too shabby <laughs> no, not too shabby you know no. <laughs> but no I really feel like the listeners will get something from it and really learn from it and um I just want to thank you so much for taking time out to 
to speak with me. Is there anything you want to shout out? Anything you want to announce or anything at all you want to say before we wrap up? Um, you know, I've just obviously like a thank you to yourself as well. Like again, it's my first time being on a podcast. <laughs> I never thought I'd be like a podcast person, but here I am. Um, just throwing some gems again. But um, yeah, just anyone who's sort of, you know, really trying to sort of navigate within corporate workspaces. Like I've read tons of books about just, you know, the psychology of just like different things within workspaces and stuff like mm. that. Um, so I guess if anyone's sort of potentially looking for um, a bit of mentoring, then I'm definitely sort of around. And this is someone who like maybe in the very, very early stages of their career mm. um, as well. So yeah, definitely reach out. But also just um, look at the, the stuff that I start, I'm posting on LinkedIn because I'm always talking about um, different things and, and just how to just navigate certain areas and, and just what we're doing that. Um, sort of what I'm doing at my EY as well so use that like as an example of how you want to sort of position your personal brand as well mm-hmm. um, but apart from that no just um, you know look at the Black Create Connect um, um, community because they're the ones that are doing bits for our community they're going to the ones that are presenting opportunities um, and you know it's really good to get involved in um, in this sort of community because it's only by sort of just lifting others that we're gonna mm-hmm. you know elevate do you know what I mean so if you don't know about the Black Crit Connect get, make sure you find out about it oh thank you <laughs> thanks guys see you soon bye All right.